Hello, I'm John Hartkin, ABI's Public Affairs Officer, and I'd like to welcome you to ABI's podcast series titled Party in Interest. In the legal sense, a party in interest is someone who has standing to be heard by the court in a matter to be decided in a bankruptcy proceeding. In the case of this series, party in interest highlights extraordinary members of our community for their contributions to key bankruptcy developments, initiatives to push the practice forward, and or passion for their cause or activity outside of the office. Hosting the discussion on today's podcast is ABI Executive Director Amy Quackenboss. As for the guest on today's episode, ABI is honored to have Ken Feinberg, one of the nation's leading experts in alternative dispute resolution, join Amy for an interview. Currently the court-appointed mediator in both the Emerus Cypress Talc bankruptcy in Delaware and the Hong's Asbestos bankruptcy in Texas, Feinberg's distinguished career includes previously having served as special master of the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund, the Department of Justice Victims of State-Sponsored Terrorism Fund, the Department of Justice Boeing 737 MAX Crash Victim Beneficiaries Compensation Fund, and many other high-profile complex disputes over the past 40 years. So without further ado, let me turn the podcast over to Amy so that you can enjoy Mr. Feinberg's story from the distinguished man himself. Go ahead, Amy. Thank you, John. And Ken, thank you so much uh, for joining us here today. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, so I... Um, John just hit on a few of your uh, roles throughout um, your career, and um, you have a long history of um, public service, honestly, um, to um, uh, uh, in your career. And so I, I wanted to take you back a few years to 1984 um, when you were asked um, to serve and appointed by Judge Jack Weinstein in New York, New York as a special master of the Agent Orange uh, Veterans Fund uh, program. Um, I was reading an article and Judge Weinstein later said that if you were a painter or an artist, you would be the Picasso of the legal field. Um, really, what a wonderful, what a wonderful um, tribute to you. And um, you've become a leading expert in um, as a mediator and special master in so many tragic but high stakes, complex and very public cases. Um, going back to 1984, can you tell us a little bit about your decision to serve in that role and what it meant for your career? Thank you very much. I'm honored to be part of this. I never uh, thought when I was in law school, I was practicing law privately. I never thought that um, I would uh, end up serving as a special master appointed by a court. I never thought that I would be um, a mediator. Uh, they didn't even teach mediation in, in my years at NYU Law School, ancient times. You know, Abraham Lincoln was president. But I knew Judge Weinstein. I knew him because we had clerked for the same judge 20 years apart. So we knew each other from the from the clerk network. And... Um, um, he called me and asked if I would be willing to serve as a mediator to try and resolve the litigation. And then thereafter, 
serve as a claims administrator if there was a settlement. And I said, yes. I said, Judge, I've never mediated before. He says, that's all right. You've got the background. You were chief of staff to Senator Ted Kennedy. You know politics and will need help from the Veterans Administration. And that was my sudden um, introduction to the world of mediation and alternative dispute resolution. And when that case was resolved in about eight weeks, full settlement on the front pages of the newspapers around the country, uh, we knew that um, um, that would be uh, my, uh, my new career, quite different from anything that I anticipated. Can I ask what you thought you wanted to do when you went to law school? What kind of- Not at all. No, not at all. I never thought that that would be my, uh, my, uh, my career. And uh, sometimes it's better to be lucky than smart. And, and it just so happened that after Agent Orange, other companies and lawyers began calling me to mediate. Then, of course, along came 9-11 and a new statute by Congress creating a victim compensation fund. And there uh, I was appointed by the Bush administration, by the Attorney General, John Ashcroft, uh, to uh, design and administer that program. And that's how it worked. That's amazing. Um, uh, you just kind of fell into it. And that's the story. When I've talked to several um, folks on this Party and Interest podcast about how they you know, got to where they are now, uh, a lot of people just like you fell into it. I mean, you know, it was it was a it was something. What did you want to do when you were going to law school? What did you think you wanted to do? Oh, I thought I'd be a litigator before law school. I thought I would go after graduating from college. I thought I might go to a, a Yale School of Drama. Really? And uh, my father gave me very good advice. He said, you know, most actors end up waiting on tables at restaurants, waiting for the big break. Why don't you instead uh, go to law school and bring your talents to the, uh, to the courtroom? And for a while, I thought I'd be a litigator until along came uh, Judge Weinstein. Well, now, I, I was going to ask this question later during our discussion, but uh, you, you, you wrote a book uh, that did become a movie, um, and you're, you were played in that movie um, by Michael Keaton. Um, so why didn't you play yourself <laughs> if, you, if you wanted to, to go to uh, drama school? <laughs> I think the answer is very simple. Producers of the film who invested millions of dollars in making that film, didn't really want to trust Feinberg to play himself. <laughs> what What did you think about the portrayal by uh, Michael Keaton? I thought he did a pretty good job. I think he, you know, followed us around for a few days. We met with him and chatted with him. I think he pretty did a very good job with the mannerisms, uh, posture, and all of that. Yeah. And I thought he did a pretty good job of of portraying me in the movie. I must say my children, when I asked them what they thought about Keaton's portrayal of their father, said, you know, he's a very good actor, but he should stick to Batman and Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah. Ready to play Feinberg. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I bet that was difficult to, I mean, I, you know, uh, your work um, in that case, um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure, um, and maybe you can touch on it a little bit, uh, you know, such an emotional roller coaster, right? Um, 
and dealing with the tragedies and the families and the victims, um, how were you able to portray, like to, to share that with the actors so that they were able to bring that, you know, that work that you did, you know, to truth on screen? Well, I sat with them. My colleague, Camille Byros, who really administered the program, mm -hmm. played by Amy Ryan in the film. We sat with them and spoke to them fairly at length about the program. They all had read my book. The movie was adapted from my book, What Is Life Worth? And um, they got a feel for the temperature uh, at that time of, of administering that program and the difficulties and the tragedies. And I think that helped sort of um, ground them in trying to portray what we went through in the 9-11 fund. I must say, much to my surprise, the film, despite all of its dramatic license, and there's a great deal of it, did a pretty good job of conveying the stress and the anxiety when we went through in delivering over $7 billion of taxpayer money to 5,300 claimants dead or injured, physically injured. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's good to hear that they were able to, to do that. Um, I mean, that was one of your many, of course, many cases that, you know, these these cases that you've uh, really stepped into and been able to help resolve. Um, but that's not your only role. So I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I'll, I'll list some of your roles. You've been a law clerk. You, you know, you said you've been the chief of staff to Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, of course, you know, your role in administrating compensation for victims and survivors. Um, you've been an author. Um, you've been a movie consultant. Uh, and so much, so many more um, things that you've done. What um, can you tell me? Is there one one role that you have enjoyed the most? Well, enjoyed in quotes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of my great experiences, really part of history, was working for Senator Ted Kennedy. Mm -hmm. He will undoubtedly uh, go down in history as one of the most effective senators in the history of the nation. And uh, you'll get those plaudits from citizens of all ideological stripe and senators, congressmen, and presidents. So it's not a blue state, red state. Uh, the most satisfactory, uh, the greatest satisfaction that I ever received in a mediation or a claims program was 9-11. 9-11 was unprecedented rivaled only by probably the Civil War, Pearl Harbor, the assassination of President Kennedy. Um, a very emotional time for people, for our nation. And this special law that was created by Congress, for the first time establishing a fund to compensate innocent victims, was a real challenge. And it took us uh, a while to design the program, about th three months. And then we rolled the program out. And over the next 33 months, we uh, processed about over 7,000 claims and uh, paid out over $7 billion, all taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. And 97% of all the eligible families that were entitled to the money, et cetera, came into the fund voluntarily. Great achievement. 
Of course it is. And I cannot imagine um, just the the stress and, and you know, emotions that you were going through, you and your, your you know, your colleagues were going through during all of that. So, um, you know, just being pulled in many different directions. So thank you for your service there. Um, well, so would you describe, my next question was going to be, do you describe, what's your toughest role? Was that your toughest role? 9-11. And I'll tell you why. People don't understand sometimes what made it so difficult. It was, I'm asked all the time, how do you value a life? Well, those listening to this podcast, they know exactly. You value lives every day in every court, in every village, city, hamlet, town in this country. It's uh, chapter seven of most tort law handbooks or classroom textbooks. Uh, what is the life worth? Well, what was the uh, uh, the economic loss suffered by the victim? And how do you add to that something for pain and suffering or emotional distress? That is not that difficult. There are people on this podca- podcast that could do that. The real problem in all of these uh, mass tragedies, particularly 9-11, is the emotion. The emotion of survivors who lost loved ones, those physically injured with life-altering injuries, those that the emotion you have to confront in dealing with victims so soon after the tragedy. The 9-11 fund was established 13 days after the attacks. That is where you better brace yourself and you better be prepared for anger, frustration, disappointment. It's, it's, it's the toughest part of the job. Sometimes I think I'd be better off with a degree in divinity or psychiatry rather than law, because that's the difficult challenge, trying to relate to grief and people suffering loss. How how did you prepare yourself for that? I mean, how did you go into it every day? Just Well, I had a little bit of experience. Starting with Agent Orange, I was dealing, for example, with Vietnam veterans exposed to the Agent Orange herbicide in Vietnam, who were suffering all sorts of illnesses, maladies, injuries, blaming Agent Orange exposure. And after that, I dealt with aircraft crashes or asbestos victims, women who had been, uh, they, they had cancer caused by DES pregnancy drug. So I had had some experience with um, tragedy, but Vietnam, uh, but a nine eleven, traumatic death, traumatic. You know, wives saying goodbye to husbands sort of casually. We'll meet you for dinner. You never see them again. Dust, nobody. That was a real challenge and. You move forward because you know that the country and the president have asked you. You're a professional. You have an obligation to the country. And if you take the assignment, he and uh, we waded through some difficult, debilitating times. You know, I, I just I can't imagine uh, what you went through there. And um, thank you again um, for your service. Uh, I know. Well, I'll, I'll give you one example. Yeah. Example that's that I think 
epitomizes uh, the, the, the pressure we were under. A lady comes to see me, 26 years old, sobbing. Private meeting. Private. Mr. Feinberg, I lost my husband. He was a fireman at the World Trade Center. And he left me with our two children, six and four. Now, you're going to give me under the fund $2.6 million. I want it in 30 days. I said to her, Mrs. Jones, it may take 90 days. This is the federal government, the U.S. Treasury, the bureaucracy. They've got to cut the check. It may take a while, but you'll get your money. 30 days. I said, why 30 days? Why? I'll tell you why, Mr. Feinberg. I have terminal cancer. I have 10 weeks to live. I've got to get this money while I have my faculties. I've got to set up a trust now, get a guardian ad litem for the children. I don't have a lot of time. We raced down to the treasury, shook up the bureaucracy, and we got her the check in 30 days. And eight weeks later, she died. Oh, my God. And case claim after claim after claim. It's the emotion, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's, it's unbelievable, um, really. Well, let's change, let's change uh, uh, tracks a little bit here. Um, as a me, as a, as an expert, as, as a person who does this day in and day out, um, there are people here that are listening to our podcast who are either mediators or they have cases in mediation. Um, what, what are some of your best tips? for successful mediation? Well, there are a couple that uh, will sound pretty uh, obvious to uh, this distinguished audience, but full transparency. You've got to make sure that everybody on each side of a mediation understands the rules. No hidden agendas. Second, you've got to know the subject matter as well or better than the mediation participants. You cannot hide behind fluff or bluster. You better know the case. And you better also have a third element, creative problem solving. There is more ways than one to settle a dispute. If one side wants money and another side wants more money, you don't just bridge differences and try and come up with like a middle ground. We'll split the baby. You won't be a very effective mediator if you do that. You come up with creative suggestions. If a wholesaler and a retailer are the odds over money, well, restructure, not only is somebody going to get some money, but restructure the business relationship. So going forward, it's win-win for both sides. That's what you try and do. And finally, always try and Place yourself in the shoes of the mediation participants. What do they really want? How do we get to yes after uh, a fair amount of back and forth? How do we begin to funnel the solution into a range that both sides can accept? All good advice. I, you know, I feel like every parent should have that mediation advice on you know, how, there are different solutions, right? You, be creative, right? You know, trying to figure out the answer is not always this way or that way. There's different options. So. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, when my kids were younger, I, I once in a while I would come home, they would be fighting and I'd suggest, well, I'll be the mediator and I'll help you resolve. 
and they would look at me and say, get out of the room. You don't want <laughs> And uh, to this day, I, I reluctantly, I tell would-be mediation participants, I will not be family disputes, divorce proceedings. Uh, I've found that when you get into the realm of personal worth, divorce, family integrity, etc., it is so emotional mm -hmm. that I've found it's very difficult for a reasonable mediator to reach a resolution, and I tend to shy away from those cases. I know what I don't know. Right, you and a lot of people, right? That God bless the people who can who do that. That's right. right. That's right. Hey, we, do, we do have a question from our live audience. Um, it um, someone is curious if you have a view on the propriety or the propriety of non-consensual releases in Chapter Eleven cases, or is this something that there needs to be a legislative legislative solution for? I haven't decided that on non-consensual releases. If what you mean by that is, can the arbitration lawyers and those representing creditors uh, or the debtor, can you um, bind uh, individuals that uh, don't know a thing about the release, et cetera? If, that, if that's what's meant, I, I tend to think that uh, you don't need legislation, that the judge has wide discretion to permit a vote. And as, as long as the judge is is sort of the arbiter of the release language and the arbiter of outreach and notice to individual uh, creditors, uh, I think you don't need legislative change. Whether or not you need legislative change for some of the other big issues, uh, like uh, channeling the judge. Or uh, the Texas two-step; mm -hmm. those are very important public policy issues with arguments on both sides that will ultimately be decided. I think both by the Supreme Court. One, the Purdue case, which I mediated successfully mm -hmm. with Lane Phillips over a year's effort, um, but we got it done and was approved by the judge, Judge Frank Drain. Right. Uh, the Second Circuit upheld. Uh, mediation process. But Judge Wesley urged the Supreme Court, you better take a look at the channeling. And the court took the case, and I believe December 4th, a couple of months from now, they're going to hear an oral argument in the Purdue case. That'll have a major impact, I think, on bankruptcy law. We will all be watching that case very closely. Um, and I don't think that case, by the way, I don't think that's an ideological split Court. I don't think that's the issue. Mm -hmm. I think that's a statutory interpretation case, whether you're uh, an Obama appointee or a Bush appointee or a Trump appointee. I think the issue there is more what does the bankruptcy code say about third party releases, uh, shuttling injunctions. And uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we, we will be paying attention to it. Well, I, can I? Our time is up, but uh, I appreciate your time, um, spending your time with us and answering our questions. And um, certainly you are a very interesting party and in interest to have on. And I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I'll stick around for a while. Great. Wonderful. 
Well, that ends our uh, Party and Interest podcast today. Uh, as John mentioned, you can find all of these podcasts on our website. Uh, and I hope you will tune in again to our next one. Until later, take care. Thank you.